Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, once again, 24's podcast, the best video gaming and sports podcast on the entire internet. Oh my god. What a day. What a long day. I'm so exhausted. Brady retired. Stafford won this weekend against the Niners. I want to talk about it, but we'll save that for tomorrow cornerbacks didn't talk about it last week we'll talk about them this weekend and this week among other draft potentials i'm just tired i'm excited to get into it we got a lot of stuff to cover yes we'll cover brian flores yes we'll cover jim harbaugh getting the minnesota job long one probably coming up ladies and gentlemen right here 24th podcast I had to like, oh my God. I I love Tom Brady. I, I cannot start off with Tom Brady. Oh my God. Let me start off with Brian Flores, then we'll transition it into Tom Brady. So <clears throat> if you don't know what happened today, among other things, um, Tom Brady retired. <laughs> the greatest football player of all time. My, my favorite um, football player of all time. Uh, eclipsing the great and indomitable Walter Payton. The reason why I'm a Patriot fan is because of Tom Brady. I'll, like I'll, I'm not afraid to uh, you know to acknowledge it. But um, he retired today, and we'll talk about him and all of his glory. But we will touch on this for like a couple of minutes, and then we'll hit on Tom Brady. So the reason why I'm so mentally exhausted is that I spent the better part of two and a half hours. Looking at, hold on, let me turn off my vinyl player, hold on. Listening to Nirvana's Paramount Palace performance among um, Taylor Swift's Red. I was just like, because Nirvana is semi-depressing sometimes, or specifically that performance is depressing. But I was watching, or not watching, but I was listening to Nirvana and Taylor Swift while I was reading this 58-page just demolition of the NFL that Brian Flores just put out against the NFL, I have um, annotated specifically the parts that we will be getting into it. At first, I was just like, oh, I'll just read it verbatim uh, to you, and we'll keep things pushing. Nope, it is 58 pages long. With a lot of material and content, we'll hit on the highlights. It will be a very, very long period of time that we will discuss it. And uh, I'm just going to say it already. Uh, It makes the NFL look bad for a multitude of different reasons. And I'm not even going to mince words with you. Uh, If you cannot, if you are sensitive, I don't want you here. If you're one, like, I don't want you here. Get out. I don't want you here. We're going to be talking about very, very hard things today. Starting off with Tom Brady in a couple of minutes, but then we will get into Brian Flores, and then we will close with Jim Harbaugh. Okay? This is one of those days that... Hold on, I gotta chew some gum. This is one of those days that it truly does benefit me, and it's a great thing that these podcasts that I record are extremely late, 
I feel bad for the people who wait all night long for the podcast only to get it at like one, two, or in some cases, three o'clock in the morning. I apologize. But it's for this reason that just dump of dump of dump of information just, you know, just pops up on the scene. Brian Flores' lawsuit against the NFL and the Jim Harbaugh um, information that just got released. But first, oh yeah, by the way, first of all, happy Black History uh, Month. Very excited. I did not listen to Martin Luther King's March on Washington, D.C. Hold on, let me get it. Let me get it. If you don't know what it is, it is, excuse me, uh, the Great March on Washington. It is quite possibly one of the single greatest and most influential and important events in American history. Washington, D.C., um, August 28th, 1963, meant to actually listen to this record that I have of it, this recording that I have of it last month for Martin Luther King Jr. Day, I will probably wake up tomorrow morning, listen to it, a little bit of black history. Hey, man, listen, when you're uh, when you're black, it's, uh, it's pretty easy to be informed about black history, but uh, if you're not black, then it's kind of hard. Very excited about that. First off, let me take a swig of my water. Before we get into Brian Flores, Jim Harbaugh, let me address the greatest football player of all time. And I want to address him and his relationship to the media. Let me take a swig of water first. By the way, I just realized, like, the last time you probably heard me was maybe at the end of the Rams versus the <clears throat> Rams versus the uh, 49ers football game. Boy, don't I sound different. If you didn't listen to it, or at least the end, I literally was losing my ability to speak. Now I'm back. Semi-back. Semi-back. I still am not like 100%. <clears throat> but I'm fine. I'm back. That's why I'm semi-excited to take like the week off. In a couple of weeks after the Super Bowl and after the week of the Super Bowl, like I always do that. It's like I've been going for the most part for about a six month period. I'm like, I like to take a week off every six months. I think that's fine. But um, I want to talk about Tom Brady here and his relationship to the media because it's a contentious one. It is a um, it is a viral one and it is a consistent one. His relationship with the media and with the fans. And I feel like it's important before we go into his accolades, his accomplishments, his impact on the sport of football. I feel like it is important to talk about the negative aspect of his career. And this is about the only at the only negative aspect of his career is the um, the constant just witch hunt against Tom Brady. Yeah, you thought I was going to speak glowingly about the, his relationship with the media and how the media was right. No, um, they've been trying. Hold on. I, I really should have. The reason why I played the uh, the Jackass song was because. Uh, hold on. Candace Parker is rapping on Inside the T on Inside TNT, the halftime report. I got to listen to this. I didn't even need to see her 
or listen to her saying it. I saw her and I was just like, oh, she's rapping. Hold on. Mm. Mm. Okay. 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 Sorry, I just got really distracted by Candace Parker rapping. I got a burp. Excuse me. Hold on, let me... Here we go. Let me play this song for you. I really wanted to play this song in honor of Tom Tom Brady, but the reality is I... <clears throat> I just... Uh, you know, I just... I was watching Jackass for like 20 minutes because I read a 58-page legal document and my brain was kind of hurting. Anyways, I wanted to play this song. Wish death upon me Blood in my dog and I can't see I'm trying to be what I'm destined to be And niggas trying to take my life away I put a hole in a nigga for fucking with me You don't know the importance of this song Tom Brady played this song I think as um, the precursor to his playoff appearance and inevitable Super Bowl win last season. By the way, I mean, I also wanted to play this song. Hold on. Man, I tell you something, man. Sometimes, man, sometimes, you know, Tom Brady, man. <laughs> this is Tom Brady. I don't know. You know, sometimes, man, Tom Brady, I feel like is is an adopted brother. He's like my third cousin once removed, you know. These guys out here listening to 50 Cent, stunting on dudes, right? And then I get, then after he beats, <clears throat> excuse me, then after he beats Chicago, this is, this is what he plays after he beats Chicago. This is what he plays. If you do not know, hold on, this is the best part of the song. If you don't know the relevance of this song, it is Love Sosa by Chief Keef, right? He played this song. He said, these bitches love Sosa. He played that song. After he beat the Chicago Bears. If you don't know the correlation, Love so not Love Sosa. Chief Keef is from Chicago. Love Sosa is like his most popular song. It's it's a pretty nice little, you know, just you know, just jamming the stuff. I love Tom Brady. God, I love Tom Brady! Sorry. <clears throat> so awesome, Tom Brady. Oh my god. Oh, God. I'm going to be, like, on and off. I'm going to lose my train of thought. I'm going to gain it back. I don't even know why I was looking. Oh, yeah, I wanted to talk about how I wanted to play either Love Sosa or uh, Many Men with Death Upon Me. Wish Death Upon Me. But Tom Brady, you know, had a tumultuous relationship with the media. And, again, I, wanted, I, wanted, I want to get the media away. I want to get it out of the way first. Right? Some people are going to be like, <laughs> Deflate Gate 24. 
deflate gate. He de-inflated footballs. They ran the football down the Indianapolis Colts face. How dare you disrespect the greatest football player of all time by giving me the excuse, the excuse that Andrew Luck and the Indianapolis Colts would have somehow won the football game if Tom Brady had had reinflated footballs. They ran it down your, fo- your throat and what, what happened? Tell me what happened. Indianapolis Colts, tell me what happened. Did Andrew Luck, did he not have like two or three interceptions slash turnovers? Did the Indianapolis Colts not stop the Patriots run? run game they stopped it right LG LeGarrette Blunt Blunt force trauma he didn't bang his head on the goalposts a couple of times didn't he didn't he he didn't you contained that running game right the media wanted to make a big you know a, a big a big scene a big story about it to the point where it made national news over some deflated footballs over the goat? Could you imagine being like, hey, hey, Michael Jordan, you're not a you're not the greatest football player of all time. Your whole legacy is gonna be called into question because of the types of shoes you wear. That's the that's the level of ridiculousness we're getting to, and that we did get to for like five years. People still want to bitch about the flake gate. I'm not gonna let you sully my guys, my the greatest football player of all time's career. Shannon Sharp just did it. Shannon Sharp is a little bit of a troll, a little bit of a troll. He's fine. But even he put it out on Twitter. He's like, that, that's the greatest football player of all time. That is the Michael Jordan of football. I will not let you disrespect Tom Brady. I will not let you disrespect Tom Brady. Not on this podcast. You can, hey, hey, you want to, I got to stand up for this. Hey, you want to disrespect Tom Brady? Hey, let me show you something. Let me show you the door. Hey, get up and get out. I'm not playing today. Not on his retirement day. Not playing. I will not take any disrespect. I will not take the stupidity of some idiotic fans saying that Tom Brady cheated because he had deflated footballs. And look at what he did. Look at what he did after. He won like what? Three more Super Bowls after the flight game? Three more Super Bowls after the flight game. And then people want to be like, well, 24, 24, what about Spygate? What about Spygate? You know what's funny about both instances? And I'll wrap them both in in a nice little pretty little bow and a present. And then I'll freaking burn it. I'll burn it in front of you. I'll, I'll put it in a, I'll, I'll wrap up your Christmas presents, put them under the tree, wait for you to come downstairs, put the Christmas present in an oil drum and light it on fire in front of your eyes. And I won't care when you're crying bloody tears. I won't care. Let me tell you something right now. They won before... The gates, the spy gates, the deflate gates. Ooh, they're cheaters, the Patriots. They won before, they won after. Shannon Sharp said it best. Nobody forced Tom Brady retired to retire. He left on his own volition and on his own free will. The greatest football player of all time left on his own free will. For every moron with a microphone that wants to say anything different. He left on his own. And he stayed here on his own. And you know what? If he probably stayed here, and if he probably played another game, not another game, excuse me, another season, he probably would have won his eighth Super Bowl. I'm not faulting him. I know Skip Bayless said, I think it's a mistake. I don't. I don't think it's a mistake that he retired. Not to say that he didn't have it, but he deserves retirement. And he deserves to make the statement the decision to retire whenever he wants. 
regardless of whether or not he can win another Super Bowl. He's won seven. He's won more than any other franchise in the history of the NFL. Excuse me, he gets to decide when he wants to retire. And he got to retire today. But the media wanted to make it all about themselves. They wanted to, Max Kellerman, love him, he wanted to make it about himself. He wanted to tell me, he wanted to tell you he's about to fall off a cliff. Last time I checked, Tom Brady won the Super Bowl last year. Last time I checked, Tom Brady, 44 years old, going into 45 this very year in August, I believe. He went to the divisional round in the playoffs. Last time I checked. I love Max worst take ever in America, and he stuck by it. Who's that moron? Rob Parker. Hall of Fame voter for the MLB, by the way. Rob Parker. I am so glad to freaking bury this guy today. So glad. Let me let me look let me look up Rob Parker. Rob Parker, biggest hack joke of a broadcaster in the entire game. Biggest hack. Biggest hack. Rob Parker. Tom Brady. I mean, I, I only got to look him up. He's synonymous with Tom Brady. Synonymous. L- listen to this. Listen to this. L- listen to this. Oh, my God. I got I got to play this. I got to play this. I got an ad. But I'll play it when I get the ad done. This guy, after Tom Brady wins Super Bowl after Super Bowl after Super Bowl, wants to say that this guy is the low, the luckiest the luckiest. Hold on, hold on. Hold on. This is 2014. Let me show you something. This is 2014. This is when he was back on ESPN when ESPN considered him a real journalist and then everybody was like, oh, this guy's an idiot. This is what he said. Let's turn it up. Listen to this. Tom Brady hasn't played well in the postseason. Why won't you look at these stats and okay, be so real I, I about need to it? Bottom line He's this course. Bottom line. Not. He will not win a He'll never no, win another Super Bowl. He'll never, another Super Bowl. Get, to he'll never get to another Super Bowl. He'll never get to another one. So, so we are saying Super Bowl. that as he turns 35, he is definitely, I'm quoting you here. He's Almost a decade ago, when he turned 35, this joker wants to say he will never go to another Super Bowl. He'll never do it. Here's more. Here's more. Here's more. I like the Oakland Raiders to avenge that 2002 Tuck game. This will be the beginning of 2016. the end of the New England Patriots, and you'll remember it because the Raiders' Derek Carr <laughs> will beat Tom Brady finally, and this will be the end of it, and we can move on from the Patriots. No Gronk, no hardware. You hear me? No Gronk, no, no hardware. <laughs> this was the year that Tom Brady, the greatest football player of all time, it is such a joke that media members want to make his career about them. No Gronk, no hardware. Scratch that. No Gronk, all the hardware. That was the year where they came back 28-3 in the Super Bowl against the Atlanta Falcons in Houston, and Tom Brady was crowned the king of the NFL where that rat Goodell had a look up as Tom Brady arrives, arrives to greatness. Let's listen in. Let's listen to some more. Let's listen to some more. He represents I'm already going to lose my voice. I already know it. I, I can already tell. I'm going to lose my voice again. After two days, I'm going to, I got it. I got to rest my voice. So glad I'm going to take a break in like the next two weeks. But I mean, Let's listen in. I get it. 
prisoner of the moment. He just won a Super Bowl. But if you watch the first three quarters of that, you weren't talking about signing up Tom Brady for another three years. This is after the single greatest Super Bowl performance the in the history. This is the sing This is after the single greatest Super Bowl performance in the history of the sport. The only overtime in the Super Bowl and the only overtime victory for the New England Patriots. The New England Patriots tied. Tied with the Super Bowl, the Pittsburgh Steelers for the most Super Bowl wins all time. Tom Brady, goat. The first three quarters he, he of was, that, he was overwhelmed. He looked bad. He well, was overwhelmed. Was thing, a sign of things to come for Tom Brady. Absolutely, you saw the forty-year-old Tom Brady. <laughs> I'm not one to sound the alarm, but sound the alarm, yeah. Shannon. Yeah. The beginning of the, and you see those under. This is. The next year, where the where the Patriots went to the Super Bowl in 2017, lost to lost to the Philadelphia Eagles. Lost to the Philadelphia Eagles. It goes on and on and on. He's made a career. He's gotten popular. Congratulations! Now your media, now you'll now your career will die. It will die because you can't talk about Tom Brady. This is the only thing that I knew Rob Parker for. Let me play you. Let me play you this moron either before or after the Super Bowl. Let me give you something. God, this is a long clip. Let me play you something here. Let's listen in to what this idiot has to say here. Let's listen in. It's for aid. Okay. Everybody just... already knows I've been trying to tell people <laughs> since two, to, since stop, to stop living in the past. Tom Brady is washed. And this is before last year's Super Bowl where he went. Greatest Super Bowl run I've ever seen in my entire life. What, who did he beat in the in the wild card round? Beat Washington. Everybody said Washington is an up and coming team. Their defensive line is great. Beat beat the dog out of them. Then he went on to the only team that he couldn't beat in Tampa, and that was the New Orleans Saints. Lost to him four times. Regardless, beat him in the playoffs. Ended Drew Brees' career. Love Drew. Love you, Drew. Love you, Drew. Beat Drew Brees in New Orleans. Final game of Drew Brees' career. Got him up. Got him out. Then he went down to Lambeau. Took the big pirate ship down to Lambeau. Fired off some cannons in Lambo and then brought all the cheese and all the booty back to Tampa Bay to beat the dog out of the Kansas City Chiefs and the Super Bowl. This is before this. This is before this. You saw Exhibit A. Brady finished 23 at 36, 239 measly yards, two touchdowns, two interceptions, a fumble, which he recovered, but it was a fumble. Also, had, uh, was sacked three times. Quarterback How does he have a job? And uh, Brady looked old and didn't look good. And here's the other thing. Before people try to say, it's only one game. It's only one game. Here's two things you got to remember. Because my phone exploded when, they, when Brady got his first touchdown and he threw a long pass that means early he got on in that checks. first drive. He, people were texting, oh, there's the GOAT. Did you see the GOAT? Oh, he's ready to go. So if Tom Brady would have had four touchdowns and they would have won, nobody would have said, it's only game one. You can't really judge on game one. Yes, you can. And here's the other part. You don't get better as you get older. And I'm talking about a 43-year-old quarterback. This whole notion that he's going to be better later on is hogwash. And I love – Bruce Arians, who hasn't had a winning record since 2015, no kid gloves for Brady. He blamed both, both interceptions you, you're on Brady. Aren't up to date because he, he he retracted the first interception. He said that was Mike Evans' fault today. No, the, well, all right. Well, he he, did. Went, he went on. 
He went on the record. He's on the record. That. He went on the record today and said it was his mistake. And, and 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 he talked about Brady and at least put some blame and stop making excuses. That team, as I said, will not not make the playoffs. All you talked about, Chris, was look at all the weapons he has. Leonard Fournette. Oh, look at the tight ends he has. Oh, Tom Brady has all these weapons. This is why you were afraid to bet the Jordans. This is why Tom Brady is washed. You're dead wrong on Tom Brady. And, and you're going to be wrong. He's washed. That, ladies and gentlemen, was before Tom Brady, the greatest football player of all time, the oldest quarterback, had one of the single greatest years in the history of the sport, one of the greatest playoff performances in the history of this sport, won the Super Bowl, new team, Won it. And you have guys like this guy going on saying, <laughs> Tom Brady, <laughs> he's done. <laughs> Literally that year, he said that Tom Brady wouldn't make the playoffs. He made the playoffs, won the Super Bowl. <laughs> One of the hardest passes to the Super Bowl. What a joke. Retire. Rob Parker, retire. Let somebody else have a chance. Let somebody else handle radio. That is a fucking joke. God. Jesus Christ. Take those garbage 2005 hot takes with you. It's 2022. Shut up. You may think like, oh, I'm singling out people, but that's the perception of the media. Remember how this whole conversation got started. The whole conversation, the whole point of the conversation was... Originally, people hated Tom Brady because of, not even people hated, it isn't really the best description of what happened and what's going on with Tom. The discourse around Tom Brady versus the media was hostile. He doesn't like, he, he doesn't answer media questions the way that they want, and he's a, he's a cheater. He's a winner. He's a winner. It's Michael Jordan. Did, did you watch the Last Dance documentary? I did. I was shocked at how vitriolic the media was to Michael Jordan in the 90s. They said you had a bunch of degenerate little weasels, liars, non-professional journalists, the worst people on the planet, worst journalists ever, people who still have jobs today, by the way, accusing Michael Jordan of killing his father indirectly because he liked to gamble. They speculated that. Moronic, terrible disingenuous liars of journalists said that. They said, hey, yeah, Michael Jordan indirectly killed his dad. They said that. You know, obviously they haven't said something similar about Tom Brady, but it's very similar with the vitriolic nature that they have with the greats, with LeBron, with Michael, with Tom. They win a lot. It's time for somebody else to win. That's isn't a participation league. The media will always hate Tom Brady. But the media will always look stupid when talking about Tom Brady. He won't ever win another Super Bowl, says Rob Parker in 2014, when Tom Brady goes on to win, I think at that point, four more Super Bowls. 
Or was it um was it three more? I think it was four more, right? He had won three and then yeah, four more. 2014, 16, 18, and then 20 last year. Technically two years ago. He won't make it to the playoffs. He won't make it to the playoffs. But every single time he has had critics and media attention, what does he do? He rises above. He rises above the media. He rises above the criticism. He rises above the distractions that people, he rises above people wanting him to fail. It's why he loves that song. It's why he played that song. Many men wish death upon me because they want to see him fall off. They want him to be just another guy. They want him to be mortal and not immortal. They want him to fail. Short, sweet, and simple. They want to hate on his dreams. They're haters. I hate saying that word, but that's what they are. It's too simplistic. It's too, but it's, it's incredibly realistic. They hate, they hate on my guy. They hate on Tom Brady. And all he did was take that motivation, put it on his bathroom mirror, and he got all that motivation, all that plaster, all those, no way, no how, he's the luckiest of all time, and blah, 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 blah. Turned it into seven. 2001. Back in Michigan, people said he's not good enough. He's not good enough to be a starting quarterback, not in 2001, in the 1990s, late 1990s. He's not good enough to be a starting quarterback. Works his butt off, works his tail off for four straight years. His senior year, I don't know what the hell his coach was doing, but decided to split reps with one guy. And instead of splitting reps, he's just like, you know what? I Maybe I should invest in the greatest football player of all time and let him get all the reps. Played out in Michigan, was great for Michigan, went to the Patriots, sat down, learned how to play the game the right way. 2000 to 2001, Drew Bledsoe got hurt, knocked out of that game, I think against the Jets or the Raiders, I can't remember which team it was. Tom Brady goes back in for the first time in his NFL career. The tuck rule, nobody cares, John Gruden, suck it up. Nobody cares, Raiders, I don't care. Adam Vinatieri. The first Super Bowl of the New England hit of the New England Patriots dynasty. Who was it against? Wasn't it against Kurt, uh, Kurt Warner? Excuse me. And the greatest show on turf. Then they go on to beat the Carolina Panthers. Steve Smith Sr. The hat trick. I don't know what it is. The tri crown king. The receiver with the most touchdowns, the most receiving yards, and the most catches in the NFL. Shut him down. Went on to beat Philadelphia. Philadelphia had planned out their parade. Their Super Bowl parade. Woo, we're going to beat the Patriots in the Super Bowl. Tom Brady's like, I think not. Dozens of game winners in between those spots. Gets Randy Moss, tries to get the perfect season, the crown jewel that he's been waiting for, says that he would give two Super Bowls up for that one Super Bowl. Lost to the Giants. That's okay, Tom. That's okay. Deflate gate, spy gate, all that stuff happens. He stays the course. He stays the path. He wins games. Then you get this guy, Aaron Rodgers. Aaron Rodgers, he's more talented than Tom Brady. He's more talented. Never dedicated himself to the game the way that Tom Brady had. It's just that simple. Never dedicated himself. Never dedicated, never put in the work, never strived for greatness like LeBron, like Tom, like Michael. 
He's just like, I know I'm great. Everybody tells me I'm great. I'm great. What do I have to work for? I'm in Green Bay. Everybody's like, you know what? If he went to New England, he would win as many, if not more, Super Bowls than Tom Brady. Well, now's his opportunity because Tom's gone. He's retired. People told me if Aaron beats Tom in the playoffs last year, he's back in the conversation for the greatest football player of all time. No, he wasn't then, and no, he's not now. Aaron Rodgers is almost 40 years old. At this point in Tom Brady's career, Tom Brady was just getting restarted. He was just getting ready to, I think, win his fifth and then sixth and then seventh Super Bowl. Meanwhile, Aaron Rodgers looks like he's ready to retire. Because of what? A a vaccine mandate? That sounds, you know what that sounds like? That sounds like an excuse to me. Because he feels like he's being, uh, what is it, discriminated against because of his vaccine status? Are you kidding me? We're going to read some real prejudice. We're going to read some real discrimination here in this lawsuit coming up with Brian Flores here in a couple minutes. Aaron, nobody cares. I don't care. You lost to the 49ers at home in Green Bay. Where is this supposed goat that everybody says Aaron Rodgers is supposed to be? All that talent, all that work, down the crapper with Aaron Rodgers and his one Super Bowl appearance, his one Super Bowl appearance. And it looks like Matt Stafford, his divisional rival, looks like, you know what, you know what, let's swap the situations. Does Matt Stafford go to the Super Bowl as many times, if not more, than Aaron Rodgers? Do you think he has a better shot if he was on a stable team with a stable environment? Do you think Aaron Rodgers wins a Super Bowl by himself in Detroit? I don't think so. I think Matt Stafford probably wins multiple Super Bowls because it looks like he actually is laser-focused and dedicated to winning. He looks to be a nice embodiment of what a great football player looks like. So don't come to me, and don't you dare dare try to compare Aaron Rodgers' one Super Bowl-having self to the greatest football player of all time in Thomas Edward Patrick Brady II, Tom Brady, seven Super Bowls, 10 Super Bowl appearances. Shannon Sharp said it best this morning. He played 22 years, and he went to 10 Super Bowls. How the devil does that happen? Detroit hasn't even been to one. You want to talk to me about Aaron Rodgers as the greatest football player of all time? Tom Brady, Tom Brady, Tom Brady took the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, the worst team in the NFL. Worst team, excuse me, the team with the worst winning percentage in the NFL. One year, Super Bowl. One year, Super Bowl. Second year, divisional round to one of the best teams in the NFC. Best team in the NFC right now in the Rams. Loaded team. With all of his guys hurt, by the way. Almost went went back and won. Almost went back. Defense has got to make a stop. They're probably in the Super Bowl again if the defense makes one stop. Don't you ever, don't you dare disrespect Tom Brady's name by ever comparing him ever again to Aaron Rodgers. That conversation is dead. It was dead 10 years ago. But people wanted to pretend because they have no imagination or creativity when creating hot takes. He's the most talented football player in the NFL, Aaron Rodgers. 
he has the exact same amount of Super Bowls as Joe Flacco. Let me sit down. Let me pull up his statistics. Greatest Super Bowl performances, even the 2018 performance with Gronk, where Julian Edelman probably, you you know, you probably could have had him win the, uh, the MVP. I think he did win the MVP, my bad. Let me pull up his statistics for you. The GOATS statistics. Won't ever, you won't ever see anything like this ever again. Shannon said it. You won't ever see anything like this ever again. Career completion percentage, 64%. Yards, 8,400, 8,000, excuse me, 84,520, excuse me, sorry about that. Never see that again. 600, 600, let me repeat, 624 touchdowns to 203 interceptions. You'll never see that ever again. You'll never see it. Only player in Super Bowl history to get 600 tutties. Only player. Never see that ever again. So when I talk about Tom Brady, when I put emphasis on Tom Brady, when I speak passionately about Tom Brady, when I lose my voice about Tom Brady, I lose my voice, I speak passionately, I talk about this guy because he is the greatest fucking football player on the fucking planet. Ever. Ever. Ever, in case if you forgot. Ever. And I hate it when people want to disrespect his legacy, disrespect his dedication to the game, when people don't know how to win, when people don't want to put in the work, when people want to freaking put guys on that don't even get a quarter of what Tom Brady gets. Aaron Rodgers hasn't even been to two Super Bowls yet. Weak-ass division, NFC North. I should know I was a former Chicago Bear. Fan. Weak division. Conference. He didn't have to go up against Peyton Manning. He didn't have to go up against Tom Brady. He didn't have to go up against Ben Roethlisberger. At best, he had to go up against Drew Brees. And in that time that he came up, the Saints were reeling from the Super Bowl loss. They were terrible. The Saints were terrible. This conference was wide fucking open. And Aaron Rodgers couldn't capitalize. He couldn't capitalize. So you know what? I'm going to miss Tom Brady. I'm going to miss watching him play football on Sundays. I'm going to miss him. I'm going to miss him throwing touchdown passes, him handing off the ball, him saying, Great 19! I can't say it because my voice is shot. I, I, I've destroyed my voice. It's gone again. It was fine. It was, it was back when I started the podcast. It's now starting to go away. In that high-pitched falsetto voice screaming Green 19, I, I will miss that. I will miss it. I will miss the Super Bowl runs. I will miss going to parties, watch parties of football games with friends and family, and Tom Brady is down in the fourth quarter, being able to point to my television, being able to say, Tom Brady's got to watch this. I'll miss that. But I look back at that moment with those moments with fondness, with happiness because he 
he completed the goal, the dream that he always wanted to, and that was to maximize his career to the best of his possibility to be able to get anything and everything out of his bones and out of his soul that he possibly could. And I am so happy with how his career turned out and how he stayed truthful and fair to the game of football, regardless of how anybody else wants to perceive his career. He made winning Super Bowls look easy when Aaron Rodgers hasn't been back to one in 10 years. Made it look easy. I got to plug my computer. Made it look easy. A tip of a fine tip of the cap to Tom Brady and his family as he rides off into his into the sunset on his gigantic twenty million dollar yacht. I'll miss you, Tom. I'll miss the goat. Anyways. Oh God. Let me take a swing. I also got to say this when it comes to the media relationship with Tom. Let me say this one more time. I'll just say this. I love how people want to pretend to be sad. Like I remember watching NFL Total Access try and reminisce on Tom Brady. And these are the exact same people that were like that, that were in the 50 cent, 50 cent song. Many, many men wish death upon me. Like you guys don't care about Tom Brady. The only person that cares is Willie McGinnis. Let's just be honest. Most of you don't care. Shannon was like, I like he trolls Tom Brady, but he cares about Tom. He cares about him. Tip the cap to Tom Brady. I feel like I have to tip my cap to Tom Brady. It's not a sad day for me. It's a happy day for me. He did it. He did it. He got everything that he wanted. I don't know if he's satisfied, but I hope he is because he was he was the greatest football player of all time. Scratch that. He is the greatest football player of all time. Anyways, let's talk about Brian Flores here for a couple of minutes here. Right? I hope not to spend... Um, I was kind of planning on spending like an hour plus on this. I am not going to lie to you. I destroyed my voice. Who wouldn't destroy their voice talking passionately about, you know, Tom Brady? If you don't speak, again, you don't speak, I, I, whenever I don't say anything, whenever I don't have anything to say, I don't say anything at all. I'll speak for, you know, you give me another hour, I can speak for Tom Brady. I can speak about Tom Brady. Anyways. <clears throat> As I alluded to early in the podcast, there, there was a lot of information, a lot of news that came out in the last couple of hours. And I talked about how, you know, it's not ideal to constantly release podcasts super late. I'm not really a big fan of it, but I understand that there are nights like this. There's days like this. There's days where, you know, six, seven, eight o'clock, nine o'clock, for some weird reason, a leak occurs big leak a big story occurs you know and it's just like oh man I can't talk about it until the morning or I can't talk about it and I just I just wait I'm patient and a lot of the times it does not pay off this is one of those times 
where it uniquely does. Where for the first time, we're going to be able, maybe not for the first time, but for, you know, really one of the, you know, not one of the first times, but the first time in like a long time that we're going to be able to hit on like something that's super important. And that is the Brian Flores story, specifically the lawsuit filed against the NFL. Now, we're not going to read all 58 pages. Um, I don't expect you to be patient enough for me to just read you a document verbatim. We're going to hit on the cliff notes. We're going to hit on the highlights. There is a lot to be sure of. There's a lot. We're going to hit on them. We're going to talk about them. But I want to I want to say right off the bat, this is important. The reason why it's so important is there are potentially legal uh, legal ramifications that could come from this lawsuit. Potentially. Um, also, I should probably mention this. Um, I am not a lawyer. <laughs> I'm like I feel like I shouldn't have to mention that, but. Uh, yeah, I'm not a lawyer. This is not legal advice. Don't take my, don't take this as legal advice or whatever. Um, I've never practiced law. I never passed a bar exam. I'm not practiced. I'm not certified or whatever it's called to practice law in the state of Florida, which is the state that I reside in. So, um, yeah, don't take what I'm saying as fact or as I like, I am not liable. I'm not liable. I feel like I have to say that I'm, I know enough about law to know that you can't like it. Like if somebody takes your legal advice, then, and if it turns out bad, then you could be sued. So I'm like, I'm not, not giving legal advice, just sharing my uninformed opinion that should not be taken seriously. Now that we got like the liability stuff out of the way. What exactly happened, 24? What, what what was the lawsuit? What what happened? You may have heard about it. Maybe you didn't. But um, the lawsuit in question is from the former Miami Dolphins head coach in Brian Flores. Slash former linebackers coach once again. He's alleging multiple things. We will get into those things. But Brian Flores, I'll say this. Again, I spent about two and a half hours reading it, taking notes, all that stuff. When I tell you this guy goes for the fucking throat of the NFL, he is going for the throat. And I would not be surprised if you hear a lot of so-called NFL media, you know, strong opinion people who were a strong opinion media member not really have strong opinions about it because they have connections inside the NFL and they don't want to damper those connections. Let me tell you something right now. So we're going to talk about it because that's what we do. We don't really care. I don't really care. I don't work for anybody. I work for myself. It's awesome to say that, by the way. Kind of the summary of the lawsuit is that he's alleging that the NFL does not hire black coaches and is um properly right we'll just kind of and we'll we'll get into the to the lawsuit here in a couple of minutes now if you're a longtime viewer of the podcast you know um that that's not a surprise as i have consistently yelled at my television why is eric b enemy not getting job interviews why is he not getting 
you know, um, a job anywhere. Why is Dan Campbell getting hired? Why is Arthur Smith getting hired? Like, just talking about it kind of infuriates me. Why is Brian Dable getting hired? Like, all these other guys, why are they getting hired over Eric Bieniemy and Brian Leftwich? I think we even, like, I don't think I've went a week this month, technically last month, because today is, once again, Black History Month. Shout out. And, um, I, like, I don't think I went a week in January without mentioning why, um, uh, without not mentioning, excuse me, but dis- but discussing my distress at how dumb it was for people to not hire um, Eric Bieniemy or Brian Leftwich. I didn't go a week. I'm pretty sure. Pretty sure. And so kind of like here we are. Lawsuit has happened where Brian Flores is essentially a legend. Like, yeah, there is prejudice when it comes to hiring head coaches in the NFL, especially if you're black, specifically if you're black. And if that was like the only thing, I would have been like, and? But then he gives very, very specific details on the matter, which we will discuss here. Let's get it started. By the way, I was um I was a little bit like I was I wanted like I I was a little bit apprehensive about this. I'm not going to lie. I struggled to find the words, but I found it. I'm I was a little bit appre- uh, apprehensive about talking about this story, not because I was afraid of controversy, but I'm interested in responses. I truly am. I'm interested in both sides of the story, even if I feel that something is right. I, I like my ideas to be challenged. I, I genuinely do. I look for um, antagonists and antithesis versus trying to seek comfort in my ideas and my ideology. So I was just like, let me, let me wait for tomorrow. And there probably will be more articulated, better articulated statements from the teams. And I kind of want to put that disclaimer out. There's probably going to be a better a better release, press release by the NFL tomorrow. Let's actually read that before we get into the actual lawsuit. What I'm trying to say is I think the teams, the organization, the NFL will come back tomorrow, technically today, better, and they'll have a better response. Now, is the response a good response? Mm-hmm. Is tomorrow's response, technically is today's response, going to be a good? I don't know. But it should be. For a organization that has a bajillion laws, lawyers, excuse me, on uh, on their payroll, they sure put out a fucking shitty ass um, release today. Let's read it. Where is it? Here we go. NFL statement on Brian Flores' lawsuit here. The NFL and our clubs are deeply committed to ensuring equitable employment practices and continue to make progress in providing equitable opportunities throughout our organizations, right? Or equal or equitable, I don't know how to say it. Diversity is core to everything we do, and there are few issues on which our clubs and our internal leadership team spend more time. We will defend against these claims which are without merit. Full stop. That's it. And the final phrase 
we will defend against these claims which are without full merit. That's the final quote. Now, I am not a lawyer, and I'm going to try my best to phrase my language in such a way that it implies that I am a lawyer and or that I am giving legal advice. I will only state like what I would do in a certain situation, not what you would do or should do. This is just my opinion. That is the dumbest fucking thing they could have said in their entire life. That is the dumbest thing that they could have done as like an outsider, as like somebody who read the entire document and know the language and to know how Brian Leftwich's legal team, or not Brian Leftwich, excuse me, Brian Flores's legal team has essentially broken down and attacked the NFL, knowing that the that they are not afraid to quote the NFL executives and the NFL themselves, knowing that that's what they want to do to use the NFL's own words against them, to know that, and to hear, not even hear, but to see the final tagline of this statement, we will defend against these claims which are without merit. They will pound the NFL's skull in for that quote. They'll pound them their skull in, and you're going to figure out why. Let me show you. Tagline. This is like this is essentially kind of the headline of the of the uh, of the document, right? Sorry, I fucked this up. I double checked and misread the text. I think they are naming Brian Dable. I'm sorry about that. BB. Bill Belichick informing plaintiff Brian Flores three days before his interview with the New York Giants that Brian Dable had already been selected for the job. Let me back up here if you're new to the situation, right? Brian Flores, and I know there's a lot of Brians. There's Brian Dable. There's Brian Lefwich. There's Brian Flores. Brian Flores is the guy that you need to know, as well as Brian Dable and Brian Flores and Brian Lefwich. I'm confusing myself. I apologize. The quote that I just read for you is a text exchange by Bill Belichick and Brian Flores earlier this month. Let me scroll down. Let me actually find it in my notes. Let me find the actual text exchange. Got it. So this is Brian Dable. Oh, wait, is this it? Boom, here we go. Got it. This is Brian Dable. Not Brian Dable. This is Brian Flores contacting Bill Belichick. Bill Belichick, or BB, Bill Belichick is the current New England Patriots head coach. And so back earlier this month when Brian Flores was fired, he got a phone call from John Mara and the New York Giants. And they'll kind of go into this um, a little bit later on in the document, right? Got a phone call in January, early January, like I, I forgot the exact timeline, but it was like somewhere around the 11th. Got a phone call text, said, hey, uh, we want you, why don't you come on in, talk to John Mara, the owner of the uh, of the New York Giants, we want you, right? A little bit of context. Brian Flores is from New York City. He's from Brooklyn. He's Honduran. He would love to coach the New York Giants, right? So before he goes in 
for the interview, before he prepares for the interview, he gets this text from his head coach, his former head coach, Bill Belichick. This is the actual text exchange, right? Because the document kind of summarizes it. Actual text, text exchange, excuse me. Bill Belichick. Sounds like you have landed. Congrats. Brian Flores. Did you hear something I didn't hear? Bill Belichick again. Giants, question mark, exclamation point, question mark, exclamation, question mark, exclamation. A lot of punctuation. Brian Flores, I interview on Thursday. I think I have a shot at it. Bill Belichick, got it. I hear from Buffalo and New York that you are their guy. Woo! Go Brian Flores. Hope it works out. If you want it to. Brian Flores. That's definitely what I want. I hope you're right, coach. Thank you. Coach, are you talking about? And then he, hold on, hold on, hold on. This is the good part. Because he looked at the text. Brian Flores looked at the text. He's just like, got it. I hear from Buffalo and New York that you are their guy. And he's just like, I'm not from Buffalo, we we coached against Buffalo. Buffalo is our divisional rival. Wait, me and the offensive coordinator, Brian Dable and Brian Flores, we have the same first name. Did he accidentally text me instead of Brian Dable? This is the text message. Coach, are you talking to Brian Flores? Or Brian Dable. Just making sure. Bill Belichick responds with, Sorry, I fucked this up. I double-checked and misread the text. I think they're naming Dable, which they did. They hired Brian Dable. I'm sorry about that, Bill Belichick. And then Brian Flores responds with, Thanks, Bill. Right? TLDR, long story short, Bill Belichick texted Brian Flores that they hired Brian Dable or that they are thinking of hiring Brian Dable before Brian Flores goes in and interviews. Three days, as the document states. Three days before Brian Flores is supposed to interview. Now, it's funny because, once again, and this is this is why I was just like, the NFL, you're fucking dumb. You should have consulted your fucking lawyers before you sent out that dumbass fucking statement that said that we will defend against these claims which are without merit two hours before, excuse me, two hours after the lawsuit came out, which is not enough time. I took two and a half hours to read it. I couldn't have made a statement in two hours. Now they're going to pound your skull into the dirt. We will defend against these claims which are without merit. Bill Belichick, according to this text message, if this text message is true, which I don't know why he would falsify a text message, if these text messages are true, then you guys, specifically the Giants, hired a motherfucker before you went after Brian Flores to circumvent the Rooney rule, which we will discuss later on as well. Let me scroll back up. 
So that's kind of the tagline. That's the beginning, right? Ooh. Brian Flores and the and the Giants are kind of going at it, right? The document constantly establishes this theme, right? Let me take a swig of water. The document constantly establishes this theme. And the theme is there are a lot of black players. There are no black coaches, okay? They even point out and give statistics. For example, only one of the NFL's 32 teams, 3%, employs a black head coach. That's Mikey T. That's Mike Tomlin. Only four of the NFL's 32 teams, 12%, employ employ a black offensive coordinator. I think I know three. That is the Rams offensive coordinator. That is obviously, and and obviously, excuse me, Brian Lefwich of Tampa Bay and Eric Bieniemy of Kansas City. Continuing forward, only 11 of the NFL's 32 teams, 34%, employ a black defensive coordinator. Only eight of the NFL's 32 teams, 25%, employ a black special teams coordinator. And then it goes on, only three of the NFL's 32 teams employ a black quarterback coach and only six of the NFL's teams 19% employ a black GM it's a it's an establishment of they don't hire black people that's what they're essentially trying to establish they're trying to establish establish excuse me a pattern of behavior and the pattern of behavior that they set off right when the document started off was hey these guys don't hire black people in a predominantly black league of players that want to become coaches and GMs and all that other stuff. They don't hire these guys. The article goes on, and this is the cold shit that they do. This is the cold shit that Brian, when I read this, I knew this was different from the Deshaun Watson Um documents that I've read. I've read like 20 something documents of Deshaun Watson's uh, sexual assault allegations. Some of them on the podcast were here over, uh, not over a year ago, a year ago, excuse me, almost a year ago. The documents are poorly worded, poorly described, no references. I mean, this is a sweet document to read now. And it's also why I'm like, they will pound the NFL into dirt because they already are using the NFL's own words again words against them now the NFL already is on the defensive now they're freaking already on the back foot again they just got I mean round one to Brian Flores and his legal team this is what they this is what they said right the NFL has effectively hold on where let me go back a little bit these numbers referencing the numbers that I just read to you about how many um how many you know black people are employed in the NFL these numbers come from a pool of players that is approximately 70%. This is not by chance. Rather, the statistics above and those described throughout the complaint are the result of racial discrimination or race discrimination. The NFL has effectively conceded this point. Troy Vincent, the NFL executive vice president of football operations, recently stated with regard to black head coaches. And I remember this quote because I was playing uh, Days Gone while listening to it. Here's a quote. There is a double standard, and we've seen that. And you talk about the appetite for what's acceptable. Let's just go back to Coach Dungy was let go in Tampa Bay after a winning season. Coach Wilkes 
just a few years prior, was let go after one year. Coach Caldwell, this is Jim Caldwell, was fired after a winning season in Detroit. It is part of the larger challenges that we have. But when you just look over time, it's over-indexing for men of color. These men have been fired after a winning season, just like Brian Flores, by the way. How do you explain that? There is a double standard. I don't think that that is something that we should shy away from. But that is all part of some of the things that we need to fix in the system. We want to hold everyone to why does one, let's say, get the benefit of the doubt to be able to build or take bumps and bruises in this process of getting a franchise turned around when others are not afforded that latitude. We've seen that in history at the professional level. And let me tell you something right now. That is not, you know, a player rep. That is that is the vice president of football operation for the NFL. That is a NFL executive that just said that. The NFL, once again, came out with, we will defend against these claims which are not, which are without merit. And I am telling you right now, they just crushed the NFL. They took what what's-his-name said, Troy Vincent just said, and they freaking turned it against them. I'm a high school debater. I did not do this in college. Let me tell you something right now. The most effective and persuasive way to win an argument is to use your own opponent's words against them. It's like Bruce Lee Kung Fu type of shit. It's like using your own opponent's momentum to freaking punch them in the face. It looks stylish. It looks cool. looks sleek. It looks awesome. It looks like your opponent doesn't know what they're doing and it makes you look like you're in control and you know exactly what you're doing. They turned an executive against the NFL. And now they're going to do it once again when they get... when they Brian Flores' legal team was doing cartwheels when they saw that statement. Doing cartwheels. And then they got another, another executive. This is not a team executive. This is not a player executive. This is a NFL executive. One of the big boys, Jonathan Beam, the NFL senior vice president and chief diversity and inclusion officer stated. Any criticism we get for lack of representation at the GM and head coach positions, we deserve. We see that we're not where we want to be. We have to do much better. We're focusing on all roles roles at the league and all these roles are key roles, but certainly at the top of the house, GM, head coach, and, excuse me, that's the responsibility of the NFL to make sure that we are representing our current fan base and we're representing those that are in the league today. And if you look at it right now, we're grossly underrepresented. Going back to the original point, the point of them quoting, and by the way, they put in reference points, by the way, for this year, the whole point of them quoting those executives was for the tagline. It was for the thesis. The NFL... Hold on. Let me go back. I'll I'll direct quote this. Rather, the statistics above, and the statistics once again are showing that the NFL doesn't hire black, you know, know, black executives, black coaches, et cetera, et cetera. The quote is, rather the statistics above and those described throughout this complaint are the result of race discrimination. And then the first thing that they do is quote two guys that say that that is true, that that is true, excuse me. And then they actually put that in, then they actually lead into it with the 
quote, the NFL has effectively conceded this point, which they have. They have. Are they going to say that their executives don't represent them? Let me show you something. Let's talk about the Rooney Rule here, right? So the Rooney Rule, actually the document goes into great explanation of it. Let's continue forward. It has been nearly 20 years since the NFL implemented the Rooney Rule purposely there we go, to try to combat the utter lack of black head coaches in the NFL. As first implemented, the Rooney Rule required NFL teams to interview at least one black person in connection with any head coach vacancy. The Rooney Rule has since been expanded to cover GM and other front office positions, as well as assistant head coach and coordinator positions. Moreover, as it relates to head coach positions, teams are now required to interview two minority coaching candidates, at least one of whom must be in person. Full stop. They're going to talk about this a little bit. I've kind of talked about it, but let me help you out. Essentially, teams are supposed to interview a black, you know, a black person for their head coach job. But what will happen, and the document doesn't do like a great job of it by not providing examples, but what happens nowadays is they will get guys like Jim Caldwell and Marvin Lewis into the building to essentially act as a black token. You know, hey, we got to interview a black guy. So let's get like the worst candidate ever in Marvin Lewis and Jim Caldwell in the building. So that way we can be like, oh yeah, we interviewed a guy, but he's like the worst guy ever and he's not qualified and all that good stuff. That's how they circumvent the Rooney rule, right? That's how they just get away with not interviewing great and quality candidates. Continuing forward, the Rooney rule may have been well-intentioned, although it is hard to attribute benevolence to the NFL. Ooh, nice little backhanded slap to the face. Given the complete lack of action that it has taken post-Rooney rule to remedy discrimination that it admits exists. However, well-intentioned or not, what is clear is that the Rooney rule is not working. It is not working because the numbers of black head coaches, coordinators, and quarterback coaches, by the by, Probably the three most important jobs, you know, offensive coordinator, head coach, quarterback coach, three most important jobs in the NFL, are not even close to being reflective of the number of black athletes on the field. The Rooney Rule is also not working because management is not doing the interviews in good faith and therefore it creates a stigma that interviews of black candidates are only being done to comply with the Rooney Rule, again, tokenism rather than in recognition of the talents that the black candidates possess. Continuing forward. In January 2022, Mr. Flores, who spent three years as the head coach of defendant Miami Dolphins, found himself without a job. He was fired by the Dolphins after leading the team to its first back-to-back winning seasons since 2003. The perpetrate the perpetrated basis, excuse me, of his Termination was alleged poor collaboration. In reality, the writing had been on the wall since Mr. Flores' first season as head coach of the Dolphins. This is when shit kind of gets fucked up. When he refused his owner's directive to tank 
for the first pick in the draft. That was Joe Burrow, by the way. Indeed, during the 2019 season, Miami's owner, Stephen Ross, told Mr. Flores that he would pay him $100,000 for every loss. And the team's GM, Chris Greer, told Mr. Flores that Steve was mad. This is Steve being the owner. That Mr. Flores' success in winning games that year was, quote, compromising the team's draft position. After the end of the 2019 season, Mr. Ross began to pressure Mr. Flores to recruit a prominent quarterback in violation of league tampering rules. Now, a little bit of context. This is apparently Tom Brady that they're talking about. Apparently, during that regular season or during that postseason, not postseason, but offseason, they try, or not even postseason, it may have been during the uh, the playoffs that they tried to recruit Tom Brady. There's not a definitive timeline yet, but apparently they were trying to go after Tom Brady. That's That's the rumor. And by the way, yes, it's tampering to talk to a player and be like, hey, come play for my team while the uh, the regular season or the postseason is still going on. You have to wait till the offseason before you can contact a player about joining your football team. Mr. Flores repeatedly refused to comply with these improper di- directives. Again, for everybody that wants to say the Patriots are a bunch of cheaters and blah, 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 blah. He was just like, I, I don't feel like trying to recruit Tom Brady. It's tampering. Undeterred, in the winter of 2020, Mr. Ross invited Mr. Flores onto a yacht for lunch. Shortly after he arrived, Mr. Ross told Mr. Flores that the prominent quarterback was, quote, conveniently arriving at the marina. Obviously, Mr. Ross had attempted to set up a perfectly impromptu meeting between Mr. Flores and the prominent quarterback, a.k.a. allegedly Tom Brady. Mr. Flores refused the meeting and left the yacht immediately after the incident. Mr. Flores was treated with disdain and held out as somebody who was non-compliant and difficult to work with. From that point forward, Mr. Flores was ostracized and ultimately he was fired. He was subsequently defamed throughout the media and the league as he was labeled by the Dolphins brass as someone who was difficult to work with. This is reflective of an all-too-familiar angry black man stigma that is often casted upon black men who are strong in their morals and convictions while white men are coined as passionate for those very same attributes. Pause. When Brian Flores was fired, I liked it. I liked it because I was just like, he's not getting along with Tua. He's trying to trade for Deshaun Watson. When in reality, he should be trying to trade for Tua. What I found very interesting, and I really didn't, call Stephen Ross on this out more was when Stephen Ross had like come out in a press conference and said, we're all two. We're all for two and stuff like that. And I was just like, it wasn't what was going on like a month and a half ago when it was reported that the dolphins had had Stephen Ross's blessing to trade for Deshaun Watson. And I kind of like, I let the ball drop a little bit because I should have addressed it then. And I, but now I'm addressing it now. Stephen Ross, 1,000%, was lock in step with Brian Flores in wanting to attack, excuse me, I got a burp. Excuse me, in wanting Deshaun Watson. He was in lockstep. He was just like, yeah, come, 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 come. Come to Miami. We got your trade. He was even, like, if you remember this, I don't know if you do, 
it was even reported that he was just like, I want all of the accusations done with, settled. I want also a guarantee that he won't be suspended. That was something that actually happened. It got to the point where Deshaun actually had um, had started to hand out settlements to certain um, women that, you know, is alleging him of sexual harassment and sexual misconduct and sexual assault in some cases. But the settlements didn't go through for whatever reason, and one of them got leaked. But yes, like Stephen Ross was at the forefront of wanting Deshaun Watson, and I found it weird at that point in time, and I, again, dropped the ball on this, that I didn't call him out. Because he 1,000% wanted to, and the reason why I say that is important is because a lot of Brian Flores's heat, in my opinion, is that he didn't want to, he wanted Deshaun, and that caused um, friction within the locker room. But in reality, so did Stephen Ross. He didn't want him. He didn't want to, huh? Right? And I found it weird that, like, literally a couple of weeks after, it was just this weird smear, smear campaign, and I was just like, I didn't hear any of this shit, where you had journalists saying, like, anonymous source, players don't like Brian Flores, and I was like, I don't, that doesn't make any sense. Right? Some people are like, you know, owners don't have a lot of power, they don't have a lot of soy in the media, and I'm like, you know, I, I'm like, that's just another person who believes that the Tooth Fairy exists and that Santa Claus is going to come down their chimney on Christmas Eve. Continuing forward. Thus, last week, defendant New York Giants had an opportunity, right? And this is in relation to the Brian Dable stuff. Had an opportunity to move a step in the right direction, if even only one. The Giants had the chance to hire Mr. Flores, an eminently qualified black man. Mm, mm, let's not puff ourselves up too much here, to be the first black head coach in the Giants' nearly 100-year history. That's another thing. The Giants have never had a black head coach, by the way. Instead, the New York Giants made the decision to hire Brian Dable and disclose that decision to third parties during a time when the Giants were scheduled to still interview Mr. Flores and when Mr. Flores was deceptively led to believe he actually had a chance at this job. This is, once again, the Brian Daybell Bill Belichick text messages where Bill Belichick told him that Brian Dable had essentially gotten the job. Much worse on Thursday, January 27th, 2022, Mr. Flores had to give an extensive interview for a job that he already knew he would not get. An interview that was held for no reason other than for the Giants to demonstrate falsely to the league commissioner, Roger Goodell, and the public at large that it was in compliance with the Rooney rule again establishing that teams use the Rooney rule in a tokenistic fashion. The Giants would likely have gotten away with the most insidious form of discrimination if New England Patriots coach Bill Belichick had not mistakenly disclosed it to Mr. Flores in the below text message. They, um, they insert the text messages that we've already read into the documents. Incredibly, this was not Flor this was not Mr. Flores' sham interview that was held only in an effort to comply with the Rooney rule. Indeed, in 2019, Mr. Flores was scheduled to interview with the Denver Broncos. However, the Broncos then general manager, John Elway, President and Chief Executive Officer Joe Ellis, and others showed up an hour late to the interview. They completely looked disheveled, and it was obvious that they had, had drink that they had drinking heavily that they had it should have been ben and this is like the only thing that they this is like the only typo that they make by the way in like a 58 page document 
they that they had been drinking heavily the night before. It was clear from the substance of the interview that Mr. Flores was interviewed only because of the Rooney rule and that the Broncos never had any intention to consider him as a legitimate candidate for the job. Shortly thereafter, Vic Vangio, a white man, was hired to be the head coach of the Denver Broncos. And again, I looked and I scoured for like the the um the release and it's like as shitty as the NFL's. Like here's the start and the, the Denver Broncos released a statement here. The allegations from Brian Flores directed toward the Denver Broncos in today's court filing are blatantly false. And again, it's just like what which part? The part that he interviewed with you guys or the part that John Elway was apparently hung over. Our interview with Mr. Flores regarding our head coaching position began promptly at the scheduled time of 7.30 a.m. on January 9th, or excuse me, January 5th, 2019 in Providence. I think that's R.I. I don't know where that is. Providence, R.I., Rhode Island. There we go. Providence, Rhode Island. Sorry. Uh, Providence, Rhode Island Hotel. There were um, there were five Broncos executives present for the interview, which lasted approximately three and a half hours, the fully allotted time, and concluded shortly before 11 a.m. Pages of detailed notes, analysis, and and evaluations from our interview demonstrate the demonstrate the depth of our conversation and sense and sincere interest in Mr. Flores as a head coaching candidate. I mean, I would like to see the detailed notes, the uh, the analysis and evaluations from our interview. I. I that could mean anything. Our process was thorough and fair to determine the most qualified candidate for our head coaching position. The Broncos will vigorously defend the integrity and values of our organization and its employees from such baseless, once again, and disparaging claims. And the actual, they had like a quote from Brian Flores, which I think is just a bad, bad quote. Not for Brian Flores. I thought originally it was going to be bad, but then I read it and I was just like, oh, this just makes you guys look really, really incompetent. This is like if somebody who's like on the media team just was like, uh, there, uh, well, like he said nice things about us two years ago. So that means that, that, um, that will, um, that, that, that we're like a good team or, or that he was lying or whatever. Like, hold on. Let me also bring up some more context because this wasn't directly after he interviewed with the Broncos. This was like November of 2020. So I'm guessing this is when they played Denver potentially. Am I right about this? Am I right? Let me just check. If I go to the 2020 season, will I see you guys played on like what what's the date? 11/18. So somewhere around November 18th, did you guys play against the Miami Dolphins. Yeah. You did. And so when he was asked a question about Miami, is he just going to say, well, no, they arrived drunk and I'm happier in Miami and I'm ready to crush those guys? Of course not. He's not going to say that. He's not going to give them bulletin board material as much as they deserve it. The quote that they gave out, and again, this is the week that they played the Broncos. And again, it's just like, oh, this is some moron that, I mean, like, I, I really hope this isn't a lawyer. <laughs> like, I really hope this isn't a lawyer who uh, who wrote this because yikes. Uh, and this is, again, from probably a press conference with the media when he was asked a question about the Denver Broncos. I remember it vividly. This is Brian Flores' quote that the Denver Broncos are trying to use to make him look bad and they just look like a bunch of dumbasses. I remember it vividly, obviously, 
president of football operations slash GM, uh, John Elway was there, president and CEO Joe Ellis, Patrick Smith, Mark Thews, and my good buddy, Matt Russell. I know him personally from our days in New England in the personnel department. It was just great for me doing my own background work and learning more about the Denver Broncos and their history. The Bowlin family, I got a burp. Excuse me. The Bowlin family and the great history that they have there as an organization. I was excited to interview with them. I thought it went well. It was great to meet the executives there and spend some time with them. I think Vic is a great coach. They got the right coach and the right people in place. It's a talented team, that's for sure. It was a good experience for me personally. He's lying. <laughs> He's lying. Or more specifically, he is um, shadowing and opaquing the truth. He's being deceptive. He's like, yeah, like we're. I'm not gonna tell you what I actually think. He's he's lying. Why is he lying? Because he doesn't want to give them bullet tin uh, board material, which is why I'm shocked at like how dumb the Denver Broncos are for putting this out. I'm like, you do realize like they're just gonna say like, dude, I'm trying to win football games. I'm not gonna tell you how I really feel. Moving on in the document. Hold on, I gotta, I gotta plug in my computer really fast. Hold on. It gets worse, by the way. Much worse. We're just getting started. As I close my door, hold on. Here we go. Part that I have. Ba 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 ba. Just like reading some of this stuff. Okay. I'm like moving on from like some of the stuff. They're like making some accusations here. Where's the next part that I want? Here we go. So this is one of the main aspects of the document, right? This is where they establish, and this is some cold ash shit. I didn't know about any of this, by the way. This is where they establish that the NFL is racist. And some of you are going to cringe. I don't fucking care. They're going to establish it, and they're actually going to do a pretty good job. Right? Here we go. The first iteration of the NFL began in 1920, and it was rife with racism, as most organizations in 1920, to be honest with you. From 1920 through 1926, a total of only nine black players were permitted into the league. At that time, the only reason black players were permitted at all was because the then-existing teams had difficulty filling out their rosters in the league's early days. Heading into the 1927 season, all five of the remaining black players at the time left the league and... From 1927 to 1933, only had a handful of black players were permitted to participate. Indeed, during that time frame, there was no more than one black player in the league per year. Let's figure out why. In 1933, the league had only two black players, but they left at the end of the year, leaving the NFL with none. At this point, the NFL was reportedly financially viable and no longer needed black players to fill vacant positions. 
This led to one of the most despicable moments in the history of professional sports in the United States. I told you they were on some cold shit. It is a widely accepted... It is widely accepted that the NFL used the absence of black players as an opportunity to impose a, quote, gentleman's agreement, ooh la la, to, bl- to ban black players entirely in 1933. This initiative was led by another, I'm inputting, I'm inputting my own language here, another shitty Washington football team owner by the name of George Preston Marshall, the league's other founding owners, including but not limited to Tim Mara, yes, of the Mara family, yes, of John Mara, of the New York Giants, appear to have colluded and cooperated in this widespread racial ban. Remind me again, NFL, um, what are these um, claims that are without merit? What are these claims without merit? It was not until 1946 that black players re-entered professional football. However, the re-entry of black players into the league was not the result of introspection and a commitment to equality, which essentially means that they learned their lesson they did not. Rather, when the Cleveland Rams moved to Los Angeles, becoming the Los Angeles Rams, the publicly funded playing venue, the Los Angeles Coliseum, shout out, forced the Rams to integrate at least one black player in order to comply with the Supreme Court's decision in Plessy v. Ferguson that banned segregation in places of public accommodation. The NFL was segregated. They did not have any black players. In 1946, after World War II, by the way. In fact, it was reported that during a meeting between local officials, community activists, and the Rams, General Manager Charles F. Walsh, Mr. Walsh admitted to the unwritten racist gentleman's agreement of barring black players. By the way, there's references and stuff like that all throughout the document. It's great. As it would happen, the Rams ultimately signed two black players for the 1946 season, but two more years would go by before any other team would sign a black player. Again, this is an establishment of historical racism. Keep up. As of 1950, fewer than half of the NFL's 10 teams, 10 teams, by the way, had signed a black player, and it was not until more than a decade later that the Washington football team signed its first black player. Again, 1960 is when the Washington football team signed its first black player. In 1959, 13 years at, uh, excuse me, later after the start of integration, only 12% of the league's players were black. Even as integration slowly progressed, the state of racism persisted. Teams reportedly put unwritten quotas on how many black players could be signed, and often teams would stack black players at the same position so that they would be eliminated as a matter of competition and roster cuts. It was also reported that black players, didn't know about any of this, by the way, received less compensation than their white counterparts. The NFL only engaged in genuine full-scale racial integration when it became economically necessary due to outrage and protests from writers and fans. The emergence of the rival and more racially progressive leagues such as the All-America Football Conference, the AAFC, and the American Football League, the AFL, obviously, and the success of numerous minority athletes in college. Of course, integration was hardly the end 
of black struggle in the NFL. Untold forms of discrimination still followed black players from team to team, city to city, stadium to stadium, hotel to hotel. In fact, though the NFL had integrated 23 years earlier when Washington's owner, Mr. Marshall died in 1969, check this out, he abhorrently stipulated that his estate be used to establish the racial slur, I'm not going to say it, it's in the document, the racial slur foundation on one condition that it was barred from spending money for any purchase which purpose which supports or employs the principle of racial integration in any form. Stop on this. There's a reference for it, by the way, as well. The long story short, and again, establishing once again, once again, history of racism. But then it goes further to detail the gory details of it. It's things that you probably didn't know, things that I didn't know when I first read it. Continuing forward, the NFL has profited immensely from the racial integration of its players. Initially considered a second-tier sport, the NFL has thrived as an integrated league over the last 75 years. While the NFL has was forced to racially integrate its players to generate these immense profits, it was not forced to do so in other areas, so it did not. Some cold ass shit is about to happen. It took approximately 20 years for the league to hire its first black official, Burl Toller. I think that's how you say his last name. It is widely known by even casual fans that it took until at least the 1980s, approximately 40 years after integration. For teams to be, for teams to genuinely accept black players at the quarterback position, i.e., Warren Moon and Randall Cunningham. That is. Very much based in truth and reality. It took 43 years for the first black head coach to be hired, Art Shell. It took 54 years for an NFL team to hire a black GM, Ozzie Newsome, Hall of Famer, by the way. One of the best GMs in the last 20 years. Baltimore Ravens, by the way, if you don't know who Ozzie Newsome is. Now, he was the, uh, he was the Baltimore Ravens GM. Um, he drafted Ed Reed. Um, Ray Lewis, his last draft pick, shout out. Lamar Jackson, one of his last draft picks, his last first round draft pick. Now 76, following integration, there's never been a black commissioner and there's never been a black majority owner in the NFL. For a league and its teams, for a league and its team owners who have profited immensely off the talent of black players, the NFL has never fully acknowledged its history of racism or taken appropriate steps to address its racial disparities as a black sports writer once wrote, persons, corporations, or businesses almost always forget the people or incidents that make them big. The NFL took all the aid the colored American could give, and then as soon as it became big league, promptly put a bar against the very backbone of its existence. And this is like, this is once again some cold ass shit. Remember the guy that had essentially been like, you know what, I'm going to create a foundation that I only want to be able to give out money if that foundation does not support integration. Check this out. Case in point, Mr. Marshall, again, the guy that put the racial slur foundation on the map, uh, in many ways, the personification of the NFL's deep-seated institutional racism is enshrined in the NFL Hall of Fame, and his contributions are lauded by the Hall of Fame's website, with only a passing reference to the fact that he endured his share of criticism for not integrating his team until being forced to do so in 1962. That is the NFL 
does not even acknowledge, much less condemn, Mr. Marshall's role in the league's history with racism. Rather, it only notes that he received criticism from others. And once again, ladies and gentlemen, as I turn page, once again, once again, what did the NFL put out? We will defend against these claims, which are without merit. I'm very curious to see what the NFL is going to put out in relation to whatever the fuck that racist dipshit Marshall. Mike did. So he wasn't a racist. He didn't create a foundation that, quote, um, that it, that it was, quote, barred from spending money for any purpose which supports or employs the principle of racial integration in any form. I'm really interested to see their response on that. Again, you fucked up. Let me take a swig of my water. NFL fucked up. Did they or did they not? Am I wrong? Am I right? I'm always right. I'm always right. Except the time that, uh, that, uh, I'm not right. Uh, continuing forward. They also mentioned the John Gruden stuff as well. Like directly mention it. They, uh, they said, um, what is it? The NFLPA. Executive Director uh, Demora Smith, uh, they mentioned the whole the lips the size of Michelin tires thing, which some people misquoted him, and I was just like, oh, that's what he said. I was confused by it as well. Um, he said uh, the gay slur. He called, what is it? Oh yeah, he said to Roger Goodell that he um, that. Roger Goodell should not have pressured the Rams to, quote, draft queers, that Roger Goodell is a clueless anti-football pussy, and on and on and on. Like, we've we've covered the John Gruden stuff before. They mentioned that. Oh, yeah, and they also mentioned how, um, and the lawsuit, this is some really, really good stuff. They mentioned um, how in the lawsuit, um, how like Roger, not Roger, uh, John Gruden had connections with Bruce Allen, who was like the Washington football team's uh, GM for like years and how it was like, again, it's just establishing once again, systemic racism, but this is another really, really cold stuff. Really, really cold shit. Throat is starting to, starting to lose my throat a little bit, voice a little bit. This is something that's really, really interesting. I didn't know about this. This is like one of their main aspects of their document, which again, um, NFL, which part of this is without merit? The tagline for uh, this part of the document is the NFL's concussion settlement dis- discriminated against black players. They show you how. Let me, let's read it. In 2011, retired NFL players began filing personal injury actions in courts around the country seeking damages or relief in the form of medical monitoring. And again, we like CTE, the NFL denied it. That's a whole nother thing. That's a whole nother discussion. 
and the NFL was like, okay, fine, we're going to um to to make it so that way if you have CTE, CTE or if you have what is it? What's it called? TBE, traumatic brain TBI, traumatic brain injury. Excuse me. Then you could get, um, then you could essentially get medical treatment, right? The document goes on to say this. Ultimately, the claims were consolidated and settled in 2014. Under the settlement agreement, and this is like because the players were like, hey, we have like a degenerative brain issue because we played your sport and you guys lied about it. We're suing you. And they won. And, you know, they were settled in 2014. Under the settlement agreement, a former player who has a qualifying diagnosis is eligible for monetary benefits. A diagnosis is qualifying primarily, but not exclusively, if rendered by physicians approved by the NFL or in conjunction with the NFL's baseline assessment program. The baseline assessment program, I got a burp, excuse me, the baseline assessment program is intended both to identify symptoms of eligible conditions and to collect data for comparison to later testing to establish any subsequent decline in retired players' cognitive functioning. Claims for monetary awards are first awarded by a claims administrator in the first. This is essentially just establishing how you get your money if you're hurt. In the first instance, any appeals of the claims administrators, administrator's determinations are heard by an appeals advisory panel. Any appeals from the appeals advisory panel are brought to the court that entered the settlement agreement. According to a lawsuit fired, filed, excuse me, by a former black NFL player, or excuse me, black NFL former players, Kevin Henry and Naj Davenport, as well as media reports, the NFL began regularly insisting that physicians use, quote, race norms in determining whether a retiree had suffered cognitive impairment. The, quote, waste norming lawsuit. The NFL got sued over this as well. This is like one of the more hidden things that did not get any immediate attention. I don't know how this happened. When black retirees were deemed to be cognitively impaired, the NFL regularly appealed such determinations if race norming was not used as alleged in the race norming lawsuit, the national football, and this is a quote from the lawsuit, the national football league has been avoiding paying head injury claims under the settlement agreement based on a formula for identifying qualifying diagnosis that explicitly and deliberately discriminates on the basis of race. When being evaluated for the qualifying diagnosis of neurocognitive uh, impairment, black former players are automatically assumed through a statistical manipulation called race norming to have started with worse cognitive functioning than white former players. As a a result if a black former player and a white former player receive the exact same raw scores on a battery of tests di uh, uh, excuse me designed to measure their current cognitive functioning the black player is presumed to have suffered less impairment and, it, and he is therefore less likely to qualify for compensation those are the tldr is that the nfl to prevent black players, former black players from getting money to help with their medical costs because they got injured cognitively by playing football. The NFL essentially said, oh, you're black and you're dumb. Your brain, your cognition is lower than whites. So because of that, you don't get your money. 
because you're dumber than the whites, than the white people. That's what they said. That's what they said. You're black and you're dumb and you don't get the money. That's what they said. TLDR. The document kind of does um, a good job of explaining it. Put it put another way, the NFL insisted that white people simply have better cognitive function than black people. There you go. They're smarter than black people. Thus, if a black person was found to be cognitively impaired, the NFL would often not accept the, that diagnosis unless the physician gave the physician, excuse me, gave adequate consideration to the possibility that black people simply do not function cognitively as well as white people. This is the very definition of racism, the assumption that someone is not as smart as another person because of the color of his or her skin. Again, I told you, they're establishing the whole point of this document. Hey, we're going to establish that the NFL has a history of racism. And they've done that. They've done it perfectly. They've done it beautifully. Beautifully. Continuing forward. What am I what else do I got for you here? Pa, 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 pa. Like some of it is a little bit of a rehash here, so I'm kinda gonna squi- skip. Some of the stuff. Pa, 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 pa. Where is it? Where's the next thing that I have? Is it quotes about oh yeah, 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 yeah. Something interesting that they did that I thought was very effective was they essentially were like, hey, um, want to know how many black head coaches there are in the NFL? Well, we have a uh, a whole, like a like a roster of all the coaches, and we put all of their pictures, like, in the document. Here's all of the coaches in the NFL. Which ones are the black ones? Trick question. Which one is the black question? Is the black one? There's only one, and that's Mike Tomlin. Mikey T. Mikey T. Shout out to him. And then they did the same thing for like offensive coordinators, defensive coordinators. Like they did it like they freaking nailed it. They were just like, yeah, look at all of the, um, look at the, uh, the disparity. It's just like, find. It's like, where's Waldo? Find the black head coaches and GMs. You can't find them because they don't exist for the most part. Find the black owners. Oh, wait, <laughs> there are none. <laughs> oh my God. So there was um, some pretty good stuff. There was some pretty good visualization there. I think we already talked enough about the sham interviews. And uh, is there anything else? I got some more stuff. There's like a couple more stuff here. And then we'll peace out. And then I'll use the bathroom. There's like this part in the document where it details Steve Mariucci, and we're about to scroll right past it. Steve Mariucci was in play for, like, the Denver Broncos, and they were trying to, like, bypass the Rooney Rule and stuff like that. And it was known, by the way. Let's look at it. In 2003, soon after the Rooney Rule was adopted, the Detroit Lions... Excuse me. The Detroit Lions were looking for a head coach. And team president, Matt Millian, made it clear that the team expected to hire Steve Mariucci. Okay, and once again, this is before they interviewed a black head coach. Likely because the Lions' intention to hire Mr. Mariucci was made so well known, five minority minority coaching candidates, including Dennis Green, who had a 97 
two sixty two record as the head coach of the Minnesota Vikings for ten years. Understandably turned down interviews similar to the Giants with Mr. Flores. The Lions were looking to interview black candidates, not because of any genuine intent to give any of them a fair shot at the job. Remember how the Giants essentially tokenized Brian Flores to bypass the ruin rule to hire Brian Dable. Essentially, it's the exact same thing going on here. It was only an attempt to engage in false compliance with the Rooney rule. The NFL determined that the Rooney rule had been violated and fined the team a paltry $200,000. I love how they even like are like, yeah, 200 grand is ridiculous. You guys are our billion dollar organization. We should be we should be fining you like tens of millions of dollars, if not hundreds of millions of dollars. And then this is probably one of the best parts of the document. I know there's so many great parts. The NFL having a history of racism, the reestablishment of that racism in modern day context. And then also the percentages of how many coaches are black. But this is like, like just the icing on the cake. Maybe even another tier on a very, very well-constructed cake. I felt like I was watching or reading an episode of Cake Boss where uh, where I don't even know, Buddy Velastro, that's what his name is, I haven't said that name in a decade, where Buddy Velastro is just like stacking up cakes with fondant and all that other good stuff, and he's piping out ice cream and all that good stuff. Anyways, check this out. In 2009, Jim Caldwell was hired as the Indianapolis head coach. The team went 14-2 and in his first year and made it to the Super Bowl, followed by a 10 and 6 record in the AFC South division title for a second year in a row, a total record of 27 and 8 over his first two seasons. Pretty awesome by the way. The following year, the Colts lost their starting quarterback Peyton Manning around whom the entire team had been built and the team fell to 2 and 14. By the by, um they failed him on his physical and he was still fantastic. He was so great. Like I'm still pissed off at the Colts just stupidly failed Peyton Manning, regardless. Despite his past success and the justifiable reasons for his poor record in one season out of three, Mr. Caldwell was fired. In 2014, the Detroit Lions hired Mr. Caldwell. In his first year, the team went 11-5. A four-game improvement from the previous year, the Lions fell to 7-9 in 2015, but rebounded to 9-7 in 2016 and made it to the playoffs. The Lions were 9-7 again in 2017, but missed the playoffs. Thus, Mr. Caldwell, Caldwell had three winning seasons in four years for one of the historically worst franchises in the NFL. Funny enough, I was going to roast the uh, the Detroit Lions today, but the document already did it for me. He had an aggregate record of 36 and 28, a winning percentage of 56.3%, the best winning percentage of any Lions head coach since the 1950s. This is where kind of they go hard in the paint a little bit. The Lions also had two playoff bursts in four seasons as compared to one playoff appearance in the previous 14 seasons. Make that like after Jim Caldwell. What is it like? He ha- he wasn't there for what, two, three seasons, four seasons now. So now it's 18 seasons without Jim Caldwell where they haven't had a playoff berth. Nevertheless, Mr. Caldwell was fired the day after his fourth season. The Lions have gone 17 and 46 since his departure with only white head coaches including no playoff appearances and no season with any greater than six wins. When Dan Quinn or Bob Quinn, I think that's what his name was, said, hey, yeah, we're never going to be a 9-7 and team again. <laughs> oh, boy, he meant it. 
In the more than three years since losing the Lions' job, Mr. Caldwell has not received any further opportunities as a head coach, despite numerous openings and interviewing no fewer than five times for different positions. Double standard treatment of Steve Wilkes, former Arizona um, Cardinals head coach. Let's get into it. In 2018, the Arizona Cardinals hired Steve Wilkes, a longtime NFL coach for several franchises. He led them he led the team to a disappointing 3-13 and record in his first season. However, it was his first season, and he was not given any time to develop the team or culture, and he was stuck with numerous burdens not of his own making, specifically this team sucking before he even got there. He had a rookie quarterback in Josh Rosen. Terrible. The team GM, Steve Keim, and I did not know about this, was suspended for five weeks. Following a DUI during a training during training camp, and the Cardinals had numerous injuries to key players. Mr. Kime, a white GM, kept his job, but Mr. Wilkes was fired. The, head, the next head coach, Cliff Kingsbury, went five and ten in his next season with Kyler Murray as a rookie quarterback, and then they title it first pick, and he retained his job and was given time to improve. Then they talk about David Culley. David Culley has been a collegiate and NFL coach for more than 45 years, including 27 years in the NFL. Despite his reputation and success, questionable. That's a little bit of BS. Mr. Culley has never was never hired into an offensive or defensive coordinator position. However, in January 2021, the Houston Texans hired Mr. Culley to be head coach though it was widely considered to be one of the most difficult situations for a first-year head coach in memory. The previous season, the Texans went 4-12 despite having Pro Bowl quarterback Deshaun Watson start every game, throw 33 touchdowns against only 7 interceptions, and end with a passer rating of 112.4. Those are all like elite statistics, by the way. However, Mr. Watson, that it's like Aaron Rodgers, by the way. He had an Aaron Rodgers year. However, Mr. Watson was unavailable to play due to allegations of sexual misconduct, and Mr. Cully was forced to start Davis Mills, a rookie third-round draft pick at quarterback. I love how the, how the document is now roasting the Houston Texans. The team also uh, lost its two top players in recent years, J.J. Watt and DeAndre Hopkins. You could also implement in Whitney Merciless and Zach Cunningham in the regular season. Maybe they will. Mr. Cully's prospects for success were near impossible, but Mr. Cully managed to coach the team to the same record as the team had its previous season, which is kind of interesting when you think about it. Immediately after the season ended, the Texans fired Mr. Cully without explanation over the vague, quote, philosophical differences, which begs the question why he was hired just one year earlier in the first place. Pretty good question, by the way. Even the Texans GM acknowledged that a change after one season is unusual. And then they kind of like screw up and they say like Chris Richard deserves a job. And I'm like, no, he does not. And then Terrell Austin. And I'm like, I don't know who that is. Eric Bieniemy. Here's a great quote about him. We're almost done, I promise. Eric, I mean, we've talked about Eric Bieniemy enough. We've like, I'm not going to lie. We've we've gone in. We've talked about Eric Bieniemy. He should get a head coaching job. That's like, I feel like we don't even have to do this anymore. That's the end of the document, for the most part. And then it gets into, like, a bunch of legal mumbo, legal mumbo jumbo that I am not smart enough to understand. Got to figure out what site this is on, because I got this from, like, some person on Twitter, because some jackass just didn't link to me the, uh, the fucking thing, the entire thing. 
Wait, who is this? Uh, I don't know. I'm like, okay, so this is his law firm. Okay, 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 okay. So this is like, this is like, oh yeah, this is his law firm that he got. Okay, so I'm guessing if I do this, I don't know. Okay, cool. This is the law firm that he that he's represented by. I have no idea who these people are, but these people are like based in New York. These are like, these are the big dogs, right? NFL, let me tell you something right now. Okay, covered a lot. Final thoughts, NFL's in trouble. Okay. Sometimes when certain stories break, I can tell from a distance that they won't be like super important news. Let me tell you something right now. Okay. I looked at how many like major news networks were like retreating and like covering this story like on Twitter and on their actual cable networks. I got them. NBC News, PBS News, CBS Morning News. Brian Flores will go on CBS Morning News tomorrow in like a couple of hours technically because technically tomorrow is today. He's going to go on there in a couple of hours and tell his side of the story. ABC World News, Forbes, CNN, Fox, New York Post, Bloomberg, New York Daily News, like the big boys, everybody's covering it. And it's not just the sports, the sports guys. It is everybody, the big the big boy journalists, they're all fucking covering this. I'm telling you, like it is not a uh, a good thing right now. And let me tell you something, uh, a lot of what he said has a lot of merit in court. Based on my opinion, and my opinion could be wrong because I... I'm not a lawyer. I don't want to get sued. This is not legal advice. This is just my opinion. But he kind of has a case. Now, what he wants and what he will get are two different things. But you can prove a lot of what he is saying in this document as... Like, I mean, like easily, I'm on Twitter right now. I'm looking at some stuff, but there's, there's really just nothing going on. I mean, it is what it is. I don't got anything else on the matter. I'll end the podcast here with this. The eve of this happening, right? The eve, on the eve of this happening, right? Remember how the whole point, remember how the whole concept of like the article was, hey, um, we're not like, well, excuse me, like, hey, um, we're, um, oh my God, I'm looking at this, I'm looking at this thing where people are like, hey, would you rather have X player or this player or that player? And I'd like, hold on, I, hold on, sorry, I'm like, I'm looking at something. I'm looking at like people pick Ocho Cinco over Des Bryant. I'm like, if you give me prime Des Bryant, sorry, sorry. I'm I'm looking at something. I'm confusing you. Sorry. But um, a story broke tonight. It broke tonight. And again, this is why I'm, why I am 
Very excited that this happened tonight. Because we get to cover it first. More than everybody else. Same night. Same day. Brian Flores is like, hey, man, um, there's pretty shitty hires or a hiring cycle in the NFL. That same day, it gets leaked. It gets reported. Jim Harbaugh today is flying to Minnesota to interview for the head coaching job. Just that simple. He's interviewing for the job today. It is reported he has already gotten the job. In a very similar fashion to what happened to Brian Flores. In a very similar fashion. Like that. They they, um, they interviewed... I forgot his name, but the uh, the defensive coordinator for the Rams, they interviewed him, and he's a black guy. Or they interviewed the 49ers defensive coordinator, black guy, right? Once again, a bypass the Rooney Wool. Same night, you hear about the, um, about the Brian Flores lawsuit. Literally exactly what is being alleged in the document is happening right in front of your eyes. They interview a black coach to bypass the Rooney rule. Then they go in, they hire the coach who they really want. Dallas did it a couple of years ago with Mike McCarthy. The Raiders did it a couple of years before that. Everybody does it. They bypass the Rooney rule in order to hire the guy that they want. And sources, and I'm, and it's going to be a really interesting couple of days because this can easily add on to the fodder of the lawsuit. If they go out and if they get freaking Jim Harbaugh after what just dropped tonight, after interviewing a black head coach and essentially making it look like he's a black token to get past the Rooney rule, look out. Look out. Ryan Flores, he may start some trouble. Scratch that. He kind of already has. Anyways, I'm peacing out for tonight. I seriously have to use the bathroom. I'll be back to talk about the draft prospects tomorrow, among other things. Probably Matt Stafford as well. Cannot wait. There's probably going to be a absolute shit storm, shit storm, excuse me, tomorrow. Super excited. Um, I hope you're ready. I hope you're ready. As a matter of fact, you know what? Let's play a nice, a nice little tune. One of my favorite, one of my favorite Disney songs ever. One of my favorite songs. Super underrated on a movie that I just, I don't get at all. I just have to say, are you ready? Are you ready? Are you ready? Central. 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 Central.
You're changing, you're changing, you're changing, all right. I hope you're satisfied. But if you ain't, don't blame me. You can blame my friends on the other.